So yesterday, Gil referred to our practice as a journey home. And the Satipatthana Sutta is also, we can view as a journey, <clears throat> as a journey through these four stages. The stages of attention to the body, feeling tone, mind, and dhammas. We can say that it is a journey that goes from the external and the more obvious of the body to the more subtle internal of the mind heart. So in general, we can say with the body, the first foundation is just being with our physical existence. The second one, the feeling tone, Vedana, as Gil mentioned, can function as a bridge between the physical experience and the mind. And with the mind, we're investigating our mind states. I like very much the expression that Gil used that we are custodians of the mind. And finally, with the Dhammas, the four foundation, the fourth foundation, there we're looking at processes, processes of our experience and the causes and conditions that gave rise to whatever mind state is present. I want to acknowledge that um, this talk was very much influenced by Bhikkhu Analyo, who has written three books on this Satipatthana Sutta. So we continue with the first foundation, the body, which is so central and has six contemplations. Gil talked about the breath yesterday. And we are going to continue today with three more. I'll do postures, activities, and the four elements. So starting with postures, I think most of us have um, an idea that posture is just something kind of external, you know, it's like how we hold ourselves. It's kind of like a deportment. But as we'll see, there's a lot more to it. I became aware of the powerful relation of body posture and mind states many years ago before I had started to practice. As I was making it through the tumultuous years of adolescence, I was also training very hard, about two hours minimum a day in ballet. And so there, I was trained to be very aware of my body, 
in relation to space and movement. So that's kind of like proprioceptive awareness. And on, uh, and another important element of that, not, not only was I very aware, or training very aware to be uh, in touch with the body in relation to the space and the movement, but I was encouraged from the beginning of class to the end to hold a very dignified, calm posture, as if I was on top of things, which of course I wasn't at that stage. But what was interesting for me to notice during that time, without knowing anything about the practice, is that I regularly felt much better after class. And I think there was definitely something about being able to move, I was breathing, but I also think that it had a tremendous importance, the fact that regardless of what was happening in my mind, I had to hold this very calm, composed, dignified posture. And I think we, as we practice more and more, we, we discover the connection between how we hold our bodies and what happens in our mind. Years later, when I started to practice, and especially going on retreats, I realized that here too, I was asked to be aware of the body in relation to space and movement, but there was also something very different and new and liberating that I discovered. And that was that gradually I was being led away from the narrowness of the I, me, and mine. It was so liberating to realize that we could, or I could bring this attention to the body, a very different attention. It didn't matter anymore how the body looked. The tyranny of conceit and, and having to look a particular way was tremendous. It was tremendous suffering. And so it's like discovering that there is a new way that we can be with our bodies. So we can say that coming to this practice involves a radical shift, a radical shift in how we view this body that we identify as me. I was very um, happy to find out that sati in Pali is a feminine noun. And as a feminine noun, we can maybe bring up certain qualities that are associated 
perhaps qualities of receptivity, softness, and maybe the capacity to give birth to a new way, a new perspective of our lives. I like very much that Bhikkhu refers to Sati as a loyal friend. And I'll read you a quote. From the moment of waking up in the morning, our good friend Sati can already be there, as if waiting for us. She's ready to accompany us throughout the rest of the day, encouraging us <clears throat> to stay receptive and open soft and understanding. She never gets upset when we happen to forget about her. As soon as we remember her, she's right there to be with us again. It's a wonderful way of describing sati, you know, it's a friend that patiently is there for us, because we certainly forget many, many times about sati, but she's there. And also I want you to notice that Bikonalyo writes that from the moment of waking up, Sati can be there for us. It, it all depends for us to remember. So retreats offer us a, an ideal environment for us to keep Sati in mind. The whole environment here we created for you was with the idea of keeping everything as simple as possible so that you would have as little distractions as possible. So we can set the intention that upon waking up, at least here on retreat, you can try it out, set the intention that upon waking up, you immediately would will connect with sati, and connect with something as simple as the breath. Then the breath, from the breath, as you're waking up, you connect with the breath, and the breath, naturally you want to connect with the whole body. Notice the body being breathed. So you're not really doing it, the body does it on its own. <clears throat> As we're paying attention to the whole body, I think it's quite natural to pay attention to the shape the body is in. And if we've just woken up, we're lying down. So we can pay attention of the posture, the shape of the body lying down. And then we sit up as we get out of bed. And then we stand. And then we walk. And there you have the four postures that were given in this, in this sutta to be aware of. So now listen to the simplicity and straightforwardness of the instructions that were given as far as the four postures in this discourse. 
when walking, one knows I'm walking. Or when standing, one knows I'm standing. Or when sitting, one knows I'm sitting. Or when lying down, one knows I'm lying down. Or however the body is disposed, one knows it accordingly. Now these instructions are so simple, so incredibly simple, that it's easy to tune them out and say, ah, I know that. But I think it is exactly here where um, is the fascinating part. You know, what does it really mean to know? Gil was talking yesterday about the four ways of knowing or, or of attention. So we bring this open awareness to the to the whole body in whatever posture it happens to be at the moment. So you can, for example, right now, just close your eyes and you notice that you don't need to look at your hands or your feet or your legs. You know where they are and in the shape that they're in. And just feel the posture from the inside. And perhaps you can even feel the space around you. So we encourage to, if you want to open your eyes, you, you can. Um, we're encouraged to cultivate whole body awareness in whatever posture we happen to be. Which means if, we're if we happen to be focusing on a particular sensation that is predominant, that's good. But at the same time, the idea is that we keep a wide awareness so that although we're paying attention, let's say that there is some tightness in the abdomen, that I know what's happening in the rest of the body, in the whole body. And Biko Analyo offers us a very lovely simile. He says, imagine a small musical ensemble or a group of six musicians. We can say that each musician is one of the senses. And one musician is playing a solo. And the rest of the musicians are sitting there in silence. And the idea is that the silent presence of the rest of the musicians, while there is one musician playing, adds interest and suspense to the performance. I'm sure you've, you've, you've been aware. It's like you look at the other musicians and you can see how they're moving and they're enjoying the music, as particularly the case in Indian music is very beautiful, how they, they respond to one of their colleagues playing. So th in the same way with our body, with the six senses here, acting always, something's going on, we can 
have one that is doing it solo, but we can also listen, quote unquote, listen to the whole body. So as we say the body, we can say, we can realize when we bring awareness to the body, we are guaranteed now that we are in the now. It gives us this um, <clears throat> awareness of the here. So the body as something physical gives us this sense of here. When we add the mindfulness to it, then it adds the element of the now. So the body is the spatial, the mindfulness, the temporal, both working together. So at the beginning of the retreat, it's helpful to bring to mind the five hindrances. And although the five hindrances are not really part of this particular um, foundation, it's actually part of the fourth foundation, we're bringing it in now very briefly, just so that we can all keep it very much at hand during these days when we're settling. And we can also learn to read these hindrances through our body. So how do we want to do that? It's just looking, starting from a posture that is easeful and here and balanced. Sensual desire arises, the I want, doesn't matter what, anything. The body posture, most likely, will now shift. It's no longer in this very aligned, centered posture. But watch what your body does. Chances are your body will tilt forward. Now you're off, you're off balance now. And sometimes it's very subtle, sometimes it's pretty noticeable. So that would be sensual desire, I want. Now it's pair, the opposite, ill will or anger or aversion. That will also express as tension in the body, but the body is going to go back, I don't want. So there again, you've gone out of this center in your posture. The third one, the next two, we can also look at a pair, so it's easy to remember. The first two form a pair, the next two form a pair. Sloth and torpor. There is like no energy, I can't, and the body collapses. So that collapse will of course affect the mind. And now it's opposite, the pair to sloth and torpor is restlessness and worry. In one, we can't access the energy, and the other one, there is the energy, but it's erratic. It's uncomfortable. It just bounces inside the body. 
And the body tends to be kind of like, it's, it doesn't want to sit. It doesn't want to allow the body to, the body weight to be received by the cushion of the chair. You're kind of like, I, I don't know if you've noticed that from the part of your body or your whole body is kind of pulling up instead of just allowing to really feel the base And then the last one, doubt. Doubt. It's almost like the body's wa the base feels wobbly. It means we're not here, we're not there, we don't know. And it gets expressed in this body that again lacks that center, that stability. So a lot more. Uh, can be said about the hindrances and we'll take them later on as we get to the last foundation. But for now, if you can just can keep those five hindrances in mind and as just as far as your body, without necessarily needing to think too much about the, the mental part, but how do they express in your body each one of them? So I find it very interesting that the the discourses have very particular forms and the forms themselves are a teaching. And the form of this one will be something like a let's say x is going to be something special so it's be a x b x c x you get the pattern. And that X is the refrain that Gil was talking about. And so why that? Why that form? The reason being is that this is something that we really want to keep in mind. It's, it's, uh, it's highlighted. It's something that it's, we're meant to remember. So Gil pointed some uh, and talked a little bit about the refrain, but I will bring it up again since, as he said, it appears 13 times, and there is a lot that can be teased out of this refrain. So I'll read to you the four parts of the refrain. So the first one, in regard to the body, one abides contemplating the body internally, or in regard to the body, one abides contemplating the body externally, or in regard to the body, one abides contemplating the body internally and externally. So a lot of repetition. Remember, this was orally transmitted, so we need to repeat it to remember. And then the second part of the refrain or one abides contemplating the nature of arising in the body, or one abides contemplating the nature of passing away in the body, or one abides contemplating the nature of arising and passing away in the body. Okay, so internal, external, arising, and passing away, those are the first two. And then the third one, or mindfulness that there is a body is established in one just for the sake of bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And four, 
and one abides independently, not clinging to anything in the world. So I will unpack a little bit each one. We can still mention the internal and the external, but but didn't go any further. But I will I will uh, present what how Bhikkhu Analyo has interpreted this internal and external, and it's one interpretation, okay? So he suggests that the internal points to our internal experience, so that's what it's referring to, the internal experience, and the external refers to awareness of others. Now I found that interesting because I think that's very helpful for us living in community, functioning in community, being at work, knowing how to collaborate, etc. But he points out it's not necessarily that we need to have kind of telepathic powers to find out it's like what's happening with the other. But it's more like the ability to perceive the other from external observation. The posture, the facial expression, the voice, the tone of voice. So this body language will be sufficient to cue us in to where, this, where the person is at. So this offers us a special way of paying attention to the other that can really become a very lovely gift for the other. The other feels being seen, which is something that a lot of us don't get very often. So we can see that this external mode of mindfulness would function particularly well for us in our day-to-day activities. And the internal part would be primarily, but not only, when we are practicing, when we're meditating. So that was then diligently contemplating the body internally and externally. Now, clearly knows arising and passing away. So here is all about change, just being aware of change. So we're cultivating the insight into impermanence. If we are truly able to, um, even a little bit, understand this, it'll give us an insight into every experience. So the next one, be mindful just for the sake of knowing and mindfulness. 
So here we practice for the sake of being continuously mindful. And also, um, I like very much the way Gil explained it yesterday, for the ability to develop that bare awareness of, oh, there is an unpleasant sensation here, period. No dramas added. No stories added. And the fourth one, remain free from desires and discontent as to dwell independently without clinging to anything. So here the idea is not to cling to anything in the world of experience. And, and so we want to remember that it's not about accumulating wonderful experiences in our practice, even if they could be very, very beautiful and inspiring. But it's about really understanding of not clinging even to those beautiful experiences. Bikonalyo makes a condensation of the refrain that we can refer to now for the rest of the talk. Keep calmly knowing change and aim never to cling to anything. Keep calmly knowing change and aim never to cling to anything. So now that we've touched on the refrain, we can go to the next contemplation, which is activities. And I'll read you the uh, brief passage that in the sutta that describes the activities. This is, is descriptive of the life of a monk, so uh, or nuns. So it is a referral to referring to robes, but just imagine for yourself, your clothes. When going forward and returning, one acts clearly knowing. When looking ahead and looking away, one acts clearly knowing. When flexing and extending the limbs, one acts clearly knowing. When wearing the outer robe and other robes and carrying the bowl, one acts clearly knowing. When eating, drinking, consuming food, and tasting, one acts clearly knowing. When defecating and urinating, one acts clearly knowing. When walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking and keeping silent, one acts clearly knowing. Covers pretty much everything, what we do here in retreat. I think it's great that even when we go to the bathroom, that's also included. We don't take a break. And bringing up that, that, that concept that I mentioned a little bit earlier about this 
awareness of the body in relation to space and movement, that is the proprioceptive awareness, that can function for us as a bridge between our sitting meditation and our activities. Because now we're bringing the awareness to also to movement. And so it helps us this awareness is almost like you were bringing this awareness to every inch in our body and it, be, it goes beyond our body into, into the space and into the movement. It's really very lovely when, when um, that becomes felt. Like I, I remember going back to work some years ago after, um, after a, a long retreat and I used at the time I used to work in an archive, and I and it, it, just the simple thing about bending to find something in the archive it was like a dance. It felt it everything felt so fluid and connected. It didn't last forever, but it was very lovely while while it lasted. So bringing bringing that awareness to the whole body in stillness or in movement and feeling the space. There is a simile in the connected discourses that is very descriptive about what mindfulness of sati offers us to the body. And the simile is that if you can imagine uh, six animals pulling, they're tied together, and each animal is pulling in different direction. If you were holding those six animals it would be pretty uncomfortable, you know, being pulled here and here and there and there. But the idea is that you take these six animals and you take a, a post, a sturdy post, and plant it into the ground, tie the six animals. And then what happens? That the animals eventually notice that as hard as they want to pull, they, nothing happens. So, they just quietly lie down and are peaceful. And that's a wonderful image. You know, it's each animal is one of our senses that pulls us away and fragments our experience. And can we bring that? And again, it's that, 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 that posture of just here, centered, sturdy, steady. Keep calmly knowing change and aim to never cling to anything. And with that, we go to the next contemplation, the four elements. So the first time I heard this, this teaching, I didn't know really what to make out of it. I had a hard time relating to it. <clears throat> In the time of the Buddha, all of the material world was considered to may, be made up of these four, only four elements, the earth, 
water, fire, wind, everything, that's it. We now have a lot more elements, but then it was much more practical, four. So how can it be of benefit for us to bring this teaching of the four elements to our practice? So the idea is that we look at these four elements as qualities and that we scan the body and sense these different qualities. So for example, I invite you to just close your eyes And we can begin by noticing what parts in the body feel solid, firm, hard, stiff. That is the earth element. That's what we have in common with the earth element. So next, is there the aspect of liquidity, wetness, or cohesion? Most likely, you can feel the moisture in your eyes and very, very definitely in your mouth. So there's the water element. And then perhaps you can scan the body and feel what parts of the body feel warm. I don't think there'll be any parts that will feel hot in a day like today, but maybe warmth. And that would be the fire element. And then we can scan the body and feel motion, vibration, oscillation, as with the wind element, so that would be our breathing, the air coming in. So you can see that um, by practicing with these four elements, It's another way of inviting us to look at this body in a less identifying way. Um, if we're saying that this body is made up of elements like everything around me, then I can't really say that this is my body because we can't own the elements. It's also very powerful to notice the, the interdependence of this body and the elements. So if we think of the earth giving us food, think of water, the fire giving us heat, and then of course the wind, the air 
How long can we go without food, water, heat, and air? Not very long, especially with the last one. The last element being the most ephemeral one is the one we most depend on. If we were doing death contemplation, which is one of the contemplations in body contemplation, we would connect right here with this, with the breath. The last of the elements, the most ephemeral one, is what keeps us alive. So as we contemplate the elements, we can see that what is found internally in the body or externally in nature, the four elements, that there's no real clear separation nor distinction between the internal and the external. But we can see it more as a continuity. <coughs> can also say that we can't control the elements. As I said before, we can't permanently own them. So the elements are not I, me, or mine. So we arrive to the empty nature of the elements. I'll read you a, a quote from Bikulanaya. Clinging to a solid sense of self is, in fact, the main culprit, responsible for a broad range of problems and afflictions. The task is to leave behind the notion of my body as a, com as a compact unit that can be owned and that is substantially different from other bodies. Instead, it is to be seen as just a combination of the four elements, similar in this respect to all other manifestations of matter. So keep calmly knowing change and aim never to cling to anything. So we started this investigation by looking at the powerful relation between body posture and mind states. And then realized how, how this um, can function as an invitation to become aware of our postures or the four postures in general can be the invitation to bringing that sati from the moment we wake up sati as a way of cultivating the qualities of openness and softness and receptivity and sati as a loyal friend who's there for us also mentioned how we can detect the presence of any of the five hindrances just by reading the body. We unpacked the meaning of the refrain. We looked at 
how we can bring mindfulness to all of our activities and using the proprioceptive awareness as the bridge between quiescence and movement. And then finally we looked at the four elements as qualities in our body that can be experienced directly in our practice. So I want to finish with a quote, a quote that to me is from the Dhammapada. And this quote is one of those teachings that we can come back to many, many times and connect at whatever level we are at, as many levels. Oh, house builder, you are seeing. You will not build this house again, for your rafters are broken and your ridge pole shattered. My mind has reached the unconditioned. I have attained the destruction of craving. So house builder, I'd like to suggest that it would be all the selfing that we do and that here in retreat we can see it a little bit clearer. All this incessant thoughts about our lives and how we look and how we want to do things, etc., and planning and so on. All of that is part of that house builder. And the rafters, which are these internal beams that support the, the roof. You can say perhaps it's our, our attachments, anything that we are attached to. And the ridge pole, this horizontal beam along the roof that the rafters are attached to. Perhaps we can say that it symbolizes ignorance. So now I'll read to finish the quote again from the Dhammapada. O house builder, you are seen. You will not build this house again for your rafters are broken and your ridge pole shattered. My mind has reached the unconditioned. I have attained the destruction of craving. Let's just sit for a moment in silence. Keep calmly knowing change and aim 
to never cling to anything. Thank you for your attention.